Well, hello everyone and welcome to What's Brewing CISFA. What's Brewing CISFA is a podcast produced for the California Community Colleges Student Financial Aid Administrators Association. I'm your host, Dennis Schrader. I serve as the 2021-2022 CISFA past president. This is a special show to fill in for all the missed shows, so expect a lot of news today. But don't expect Dana, my co-host, as she's ran away for the day. Let's get this show going. And again, welcome everyone back to another episode of What's Brewing CISFA. Let's start this show off right with our first cups. And as you're filling up there, know that we're recording this on Wednesday, March 30th. So many people will be on holiday come tomorrow with Cesar Chavez Day. Some people get to celebrate it on the Monday. Some get to celebrate it on the actual day of the holiday like I do for my district. So uh, this show kind of is uh, getting squeezed in before a early four-day holiday weekend for me as I will not be in Friday to record a show. So this news will make up for missed episodes the last week, I hope, and make up for the missed episode on Friday I will not get to. That and Dana's already gone for the day, so my co-host has ran away. But there is still plenty of news out there, so we do want to uh, bring that to your attention. Let me bring up a couple items here. I'm reading it live. We have a revised 2020. 22-2023 federal Pell Grant payment and disbursement schedule. So, you know, on January 31st of this year, as part of the master calendar section in the part of the Higher Ed, that Ed Act that rules all this, Department of Ed published the federal Pell Grant payment and disbursement schedules as a Dear Colleague letter. That Dear Colleague letter is uh, 22-03. And it was said there that if there was going to be subsequent fiscal year appropriations, they'd publish a revised schedule. So on March 15th, the president signed the Consolidated Appropriations Act. That's public law number 117-103 for those who want to look it up. And under that, the maximum Pell Grant increases from $6,495 to $6,895 for the 2022-2023 award year. And so that maximum Pell Grant eligibility expected family contribution and all that changes. And so we have a revised PDF and Excel spreadsheets versions of the payment and disbursement schedules for the coming school year. I'll put a link in our show notes, for, but for those who are out on FSA Partner Connect website, you'll easily find this in their Knowledge Center database. Beyond that, there were some final funding authorizations for campus-based aid programs for the coming school year. So again, back in uh, January, an electronic announcement went out on the 25th of January. They informed schools of tentative 2022-2023 funding levels for campus-based programs. For those who don't know, that's like our federal work study and what we call FSEOG, which is a smaller federal grant. We get those allocated in a lump sum to the college and then the college or the campus has some wiggle room on how they award that to students. So right now, and this announcement just came out on the 25th of March also, they are now announcing that the final 
campus-based program, worksheets and updates have been made in the system. So if you go out to your COD website, everybody, and you look for your campus-based program awards, your final awards for the coming 2022-2023 school year are out there. And so this takes into account some, you know, adjustments and things like that that happen. Some people may have got waivers for under spending funds last year because of obviously what else we had COVID going on. So it was hard to spend all your work study money sometimes. And although you could transfer it around to FSEOG and move a little forward to the next year, uh, not everyone got all that done in time. So there's a lot of updates here. I'll give you a link in our show notes again to the electronic announcements in the knowledge center database over at the FSA website. Rolling on with some other news to let you know, an announcement went out that volume three of the 2021, 2022 federal student aid handbook is finally available. As in, yes, this is the 2021-22 school year we're in the middle of. The last volume of the Federal Student Aid Handbook is now available. This one covers calculating awards and packaging. And again, although the feds are a little late on this, the good thing is, other than usually some cosmetic changes and such, wholesale changes would have been talked to us already at the last Federal Student Aid Conference in, what, November, December area? or otherwise through other announcements. So it's not that there's something new, hopefully, in here. But there was an uh, announcement, uh, electronic announcement number 22-17, making this announcement, and there's a way now you can get the PDF of it or access the digital version of it online through the FSA Partner Connect website. Moving beyond the federal level, an update from the EdSource people, uh, great website, edsource.org, on and called California's Online Community College faces a third attempt to shut it down. So what they're referring to here is what we call Calbright. So Calbright was this all-online college created by the state a number of years ago and meant to kind of fill the gap of what traditional colleges do. As it says here in the article, Calbright is a free, self-paced alternative to traditional colleges intended to serve adults between the ages of 25 and 34 who lack degrees or need additional skills to qualify for higher-paying jobs. The college uses a competency-based education model that assesses students based on their skills and not the amount of time they spend in class. So this was funded initially like $100 million to get off the ground and run for a number of years. But what they found out here that they've only had 70 completed certificates by students by the end of 2021 when the college reported 748 enrolled students. We're talking about Cal Bright in the state of California, millions and millions of people. And again, the concern of some legislators and such is that it's not really fulfilling its role. It says here by the end of the fiscal year, Calbright will have received $60 million in one-time funding and a $15 million in ongoing funds from the state. So it says here also as of Tuesday, this would have been like last week or so, 
Calbright reported its enrollment climbed to a, a little over a thousand, uh, up from about nine hundred thirty students as of February, with sixty six percent of students reported to be enrolled in information technology classes. That makes sense. Very popular. Now, this Calbright started back in October two thousand nine with a little more than three hundred students, and unfortunately, uh, even during the times of COVID, when online enrollment and classes and colleges were kind of taken off because people were working from home or studying from home or unfortunately out of work and going back to school and doing it from home, it did not take off the way they wanted to. So interesting article, I'll give you it. You can kind of decide on your own whether or not you think there's value in the program. For my colleagues out there, this is Calbright. This is separate from the CVC that we talk about or California Virtual College. Uh, or OEI, which is like the Online Education Interchange or something like that, or Exchange Initiative, I'm sorry. So this is different. This is that purely online college, not where we're working among ourselves as community colleges. More state news. One of my favorite websites, CalMatters, calmatters.org. They deal with everything related to California and government and such. And so they had an interesting article here just about a week ago, and it talks about with NIL deals on the rise, California student-athletes call for financial training. NIL, if you don't know what that means, is what we talk about when we talk about student-athletes and their name, image, and likeness. So if you uh, are not big into sports and all, you may have heard nothing about this. But otherwise, if you are big into sports, especially college sports, there's some new NCAA rules and the governing body of college sports and taking into account some state laws and stuff like that that help student-athletes, in a sense, use their NIL, their name, image, and likeness, uh, and sign deals in a sense, to make money off of that. Uh, the idea here is, you know, again, we're talking about amateur athletes who are not professionals, can't be paid by the school. They may get scholarships to go to school. And whatever your thoughts on that are, are your thoughts. You know, I mean, I, there's a wide variety of, you know, we're paying for one and dones. We're paying just to have entertainment. Many of these students will not graduate. And we are, where are we putting these students? But obviously... This was one solution where, in a sense, just like it says here, this is an interesting one here. It starts off talking about a Fresno State equestrian student found out that uh, she could get an endorsement deal on a platform called Open Doors. That's kind of interesting. Doors as an endorsement as opposed to horse. It's closed, so equestrian. Uh, connecting companies to athletes. So this student signed up early in the spring, excited to offset some costs associated with her out-of-state tuition, uh, in an expensive sport, and since then she's earned thirty dollars on a paid Instagram story for a food delivery app. This, of course, separate as he says here, on the other end of the spectrum would be someone like UCLA quarterback Chase Griffin, who has leveraged a fan base of over thirty thousand followers on Instagram to sign deals with major brands, and they list Discord, Degree De Deodorant, Clear Cover Car Insurance, and Shell, as in the gas people. 
So very interesting ends of the spectrum here. But again, this could be many, many dollars for students or a little bit to help them offset costs. But one of the things that we talk about in this article here from CalMatters is, again, for those students, really, whether they're getting a tiny little money or a lot of money, they're going to have to start thinking about how to manage that money. So financial literacy, as the article talked about financial training, it really is financial literacy. And, you know, it's one of these areas of real concern for athletes because we're talking about uh, people who could have significant earnings, even now apparently in college with these endorsement deals. And, again, they may not have a lawyer or a tax professional. They probably do not have an agent. I don't know where the line still lays on that. If they can even be uh, associated with an agent, that was one of those things that could disqualify you, get you in trouble. But how do you get to assist students through this whole process so that they don't mess up? Don't mess up their amateur status, their ability to play for a college, and their future. And again, just as we see with whether it's an NFL player, an NBA player, or someone else in a professional league, your earning potential and time period, your time, your window is a very small window to go through. How do you, you know, maximize it while at the same time staying on target for your sport and plan for the future? One of the biggest issues of college uh, athletes who leave after one or two years and do not complete a degree. How many go back? Who knows? Not that many, unfortunately. Some do. Some get successful off that. Others may continue in the sports world, but how do you parlay, in a sense, the money that you earn? hate to use a, a gambling uh, 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 terminology, but how do you parlay the earnings now and now in college instead of just first year in the pros into long-term financial success and stability? So definitely read this article out at Cal Matters. Very interesting. Before we move on to some news from our big brother, NASFA, Let's hit a little music, have ourselves a little musical break. And just like that, what are we back for? The second part of the show are our second cups. I felt it wasn't a bad time to do a little fill-up, seeing that I'm trying to give you one good big show today instead of trying to squeeze out two small shows. So, as I mentioned a little bit from our big brother, our National Association of Student Financial Aid Administrators, or NASFA, they just released here the updated Student Aid Index Modeling Tool. So they've done some testing of this model with some subsets of membership data and are now opening it up to the broader membership. So the idea here is this tool is intended to allow colleges to model how recent changes in federal methodology, and federal methodology is shortly the uh, calculation and that whole formula that calculates the expected family contribution. That's that number, the output of your FAFSA, when you file that federal aid form, that tells us high or low the students need for financial aid. So what it does is it change, you know, in modeling on the recent changes in the federal methodology regarding that EFC formula, 
which has now been called the Student Aid Index. So EFC goes away. SAI is here to stay. So SAI Student Aid Index and is expected to be fully implemented for the 2024-25 academic year, which means FAFSAs that come and start on October 1st of 2023, a little over a year away, will be the ones that will have this newly implemented, in a sense, formula and new words <laughs> for us. And so this will impact student need and consequently financial aid budgets on campuses. The model will help estimate the student's Pell Grant award under the provisions as it stands under the FAFSA Simplification Act. So the FAFSA Simplification Act was passed back in December of 2020 uh, by a former president. Uh, it was already in a pipeline, that's why. And the idea was it simplified much of the FAFSA process. So modeling tool resources available, there's the tool itself. There will be some instructions and a sample set of data. Um, in a sense, the Excel worksheet that you can use for this will contain calculations for up to 10,000 separate students. In case you want to model this on a number of students, you know, plugging in the data. Uh, and there's a feedback form built in too, because they would really like to know how this is working for you. So it's really probably aimed at more four-year schools. But, you know, two-year schools can certainly slip in here, but it helps kind of get you an idea how the changes are going to make uh, make themselves noticeable uh, based upon the information that's going to be needed on that 2024-25 FAFSA. So I'll give you a link directly to this in our show notes. The other big thing coming down from NASFA, a number of new webinars coming out. Uh, free for our Value Plus and Webinar Package holders from NASFA. So if you are a NASFA member institution, hopefully you paid for that extra money. Otherwise, it's $120 for other members who don't have that as part of their uh, membership renewal. And $240 for non-members. First one, uh, oh, was today. Let me tell you about what's coming up in a couple of weeks. You just missed the NASFA webinar today on resolving frequently assigned comment codes, flags, and reject codes. Super exciting stuff. But here's one that everyone wants to know. Summer aid issues for 2021-22 coming up on April 20th. 2 o'clock Eastern time, so I believe that makes that 11 a.m. for us. 90 minutes. And again, someone asked us, people will provide an overview here of some of the basic concepts related to awarding and dispersing Title IV or federal financial aid for summer. This includes issues to consider when awarding summer, selecting summer program formatting, selecting the award year, prorating uh, EFCs, and, and more. Beyond that, on May 3rd, again at 11 a.m., our time out here on the East Coast, Financial Aid Business Solutions webinar on Swing Wide the Campus Gates with an Improved Financial Aid Experience. I'll read right from here. It says in the webinar, hear directly from an Associate Director of Student Financial Aid about their vision to transform the student aid experience and how increased process automation and transparency with one of the products out there I'm not going to say the name of the company, helped this university make its goal to swing wide the campus gates for more students. It will include a product demo from that company 
and some Q&A. There's some other ones in May, including uh, your top Ask Regs questions coming on May 18th and an annual business meeting and policy update on May 24th. So don't miss out on any of the webinars from NASFA. I'll give you a direct link to get yourselves to their information. Now, beyond that, there's a whole lot more news coming down the road here. Uh, I'm going to try to get you some of it right here live from my uh, email <laughs> uh, sources here. Again, you know, just from Nashville alone, there's great news. If you're not a member, I have to put out there, it is well worth it for your institution to be a member, especially because with this coming year's conference, both in person and a virtual conference separately, if you pay for one person for the virtual, you get all your staff that are listed to can go for the same price, one price for everyone. But again, consider that, and it's only $250 also for NASA members. You know, there's some other things that they're telling us here from the Department of Ed. There's some studentaid.gov, the website enhancements and modifications that are coming this month and beyond. So, this was an announcement just put out a day ago. So they made some updates with uh, the idea of designs here to improve the information and self-service tools available uh, to their customers. In other words, students and people like me who go out to studentaid.gov. So these were the updates they list. The Aiden Virtual Assistant can answer common questions about federal student aid and guide students to the correct information and resources. With this update, they've updated and enhanced information and responses to questions about the federal student aid ID and income-driven repayment plans, two very important things. The federal student aid ID, in a sense, is the credential a student or parent creates so they can electronically sign things like a FAFSA or a federal parent or federal student loan promissory note. Another update was the loan simulator was updated and additional content and functionality, including a new public service loan forgiveness tooltip. This has been in the news quite a bit. Public service loan forgiveness, PSLF. For those who have it or never heard of it, should apply for it, or have been confused by it, I would suggest going out to sunaid.gov to get better information because I'm not an expert, but basically it's uh, there is some loan forgiveness for federal student loans if you do public service. And amazingly, working in a financial aid office can count, but it could be other federal or state level public service work. So there's been a lot of chatter about how during this whole COVID time, as the number of payments students have made may have dropped off because they've been put on hold, they're on forbearance or deferment how that's affecting many students because to get this forgiveness, you have to have a certain number of years or payments made before they'll forgive the remaining balances. So it gets very confusing on how this will all kick back in once students start making payments again. On top of that, the last one here, it says here, uh, processing flow updates. So they've made some updates to the direct plus loan application flow and loan consolidation flow. And there's still more to come. So expect to see more on that front uh, coming down our way. 
Other than that, you know, there's always updates. I'm going to tell you if you are not looking at the website, Higher Ed Dive, please do. They have the Daily Dive, which is news all around higher education and occasionally has some stuff about financial aid. Not always, but it's not bad. Just like the Chronicle for Higher Education, you kind of want to stay, you know, looking into this as much as possible. And I'll say, like, just from one of their articles I'd been reading a little bit about because this was a topic at our recent town hall on campus is here's an interesting one dorms eyed for community colleges to ease california housing crunch so it says here just 11 of the 116 community colleges offer student housing i'm actually surprised it's 11 i would have thought it'd be less and only again because it's not our it's not our uh forte if you want to call it you know, um, depending upon where we're located, big or small, rural or urban, uh, housing may not always be something you associate with community colleges. But it says here, as the article starts out, at Sierra College, just north of Sacramento, every semester brings at least one guarantee, a long wait list for housing in the college's residence hall. And again, one of only a few, which apparently is 11, Community colleges in California offering on-campus housing. Sierra's Dormsile Residence Hall has 120 beds, while they have 100, or I'm sorry, 16,000 students enrolled at the college, and about 25% they say are housing insecure, probably according to recent surveys here. So other colleges that have them, Fresno City College, Ventura College, Central Coast, uh, the Central Coast and College of the Siskiyous, um, you know, so there's a number of colleges around that do have it, but very few. And so this is something the state has just given some money to colleges like mine to do studies on whether or not campus housing, or I should say college housing, might not be right on campus, maybe nearby, is something that a college ought to explore. Our college president here at LA Mission just had a town hall to talk about this. Um, and ask for some feedback. I wasn't sure what my feedback would be, so I didn't share, but I'll say having worked in housing before as an undergrad and a graduate student, and then making the move into financial aid afterwards, thus cutting my 24-7 work schedule with living on campus, uh, I'm a little leery and I'm a little concerned because our community colleges aren't overly funded, if you couldn't guess. If I was a Harvard or a Yale or a USC, I would have no problem opening up a new dorm every other day. But when you're a college that runs kind of thin, bare bones, and our student funding formula changes that are coming down the pike might change a lot of that, especially because many of us have seen declining enrollment. If we're not well enough staffed on campus, how well can we be staffed in a residence hall? And this is my concern. It's more than people think. It's not this idea that you're just getting free money from students living on campus. But they have to continually pay. What are you going to do? Collect $5,000 every semester up front from a student? They may not have the financial aid to cover it. How are they going to cover that? How do we address non-traditional students? Students with families. Multi-generational students that now may have more than one person living there. How are you going to handle an eviction in the middle of a semester? Or a student who drops out? Or a student who has a medical leave? I mean, these are all questions to be looked at, of course. But the bigger thing is, can we really run it? You need maintenance. Would anyone say that any of our 
116 community colleges are super well-maintained or are we always short on facilities people and the ability to keep up our campuses to the utmost? It's different when you're not a private company making real money that pays for things and instead you're beholden to your government, state government in in, in that case, for the resources to keep your campus up. So these are the kinds of concerns on top of liability and again, issues that you might have in a residence hall. You suddenly take on that concern. Now, if you are properly policed and patrolled and security-wise are good on your campus, maybe it's not a big stretch. But what if you're not? How are you going to handle all these issues in the hall? You know, one of the big benefits to a four-year university is you have resident assistants. They tend to be upperclassmen. And students who have a little bit of schooling under their belt They do get a little bit of training, and they work under paraprofessionals or other professionals to run that hall. But all that costs money and or time and or training. I don't know how that will equate to the community college world. Maybe I have a lot more to say on this. I'm just going to have to save it or write it up in a 5,000-word paper for my president. Either way, I think I need a little bit of music. Get us in the last part of the show and get you guys on for the rest of your day. Just like that, guess what? We are back for our last segment, a quick, quick segment. Our last segment. So I really don't have any I dare you to's today because it's been a busy week. We have a holiday tomorrow for many of us. Uh, Hopefully you just, uh, it may not be the type you do a barbecue or anything. But, you know, at least think about the man and what he stood for and you know, try to find out more about him, Cesar Chavez, you know, what he, what he stood for, what he, what he meant to our state and again, for the nation. So although it's only really a holiday, I guess, still in California, you know, it's not a bad idea to observe some time to think about that. Well, everyone, that's really all I have today. I want to get you out the door. This will be the only episode for the week, but we'll have hopefully two brand new episodes for you next week so i want to thank everyone here for joining us on the show keep in mind what's brewing Cisfa is a production of studio 1051 a creative collaboration of me and dana yarbrough this has been episode number 171 recorded wednesday march 30th 2022 have a great day everyone and have a great week and a great weekend